In today's episode, I'm talking to the ultra-inspiring Poppy King, founder of Lipstick Queen. What some of you might not know, though, is that Poppy's career started long before she started Lipstick Queen. In fact, it kicked off way back in the 80s with the first line of lipsticks called Poppy. Her fascination with lipstick came about when she was just seven years old. Her father died and her reaction was to get dressed up and do her makeup. That, she tells me, was when she learned the power of beauty to transform your mood and truly make you feel better. The lipsticks she wanted to wear at the time were matte reds, browns and burgundies that felt more 1940s than what was out there at the time. So like any true visionary, she created them. Her company was turning over $8 million and by 1994, sales were up by 1,500%. The first set of seven lipsticks came out in 1992, named after the seven deadly sins, and Barney started carrying them at the Madison Avenue store a year later. The brand got a cult following, but it never really reached its full potential. And after taking on a team of people, disputes about where the business was going led to expansion into other product categories and ultimately bankruptcy. Having sold the business at the age of 30, Poppy went on to New York and started working for the Estee Lauder Group on the prescriptive brand before later leaving to write her very successful book, Lessons of a Lipstick Queen, about entrepreneurship. And that's what ignited her to go back into business again. She's a true disruptor in every sense of the word and is the first to admit that while she is the founder of a beauty company, she's never considered herself part of the beauty establishment and that's part of her charm she feels that corporations have it all upside down and that their model is fundamentally flawed in that the further along people get in the corporate career ladder the further they are from the end user of the product that's partly why she sold lipstick queen but still stays on as creative director where she's firmly in charge of the product you see on shelves while other people handle the business and numbers Last year marked 10 years of Lipstick Queen, so there was so much that I wanted to talk to Poppy about, from what it was like going into business the second time round, having learned about the industry the first time, and also what it was like considering that there were so many more players in the market when she launched Lipstick Queen. Um, We also unpacked the different business models and what it was like going from sole owner to having investors to ultimately selling her business and we wrapped it up talking about paying it forward and why she feels it's so important to keep the door open for the next generation of women launching businesses. Now to the episode. So let's start from the top. Is You've had such an incredible career in business. Is entrepreneurship something that you kind of always gravitated towards? I wonder, when did you realize that? I think for me, well, first of all, thank you. And, you know, in terms of my career, and I think anybody that's sort of had an interesting career will tell you the same thing, no matter what field, that there's been a lot of luck involved as well as hard work. You know, it's the combination of the two that has really made for such an interesting career. So uh, I can't take all the credit is what I mean. Um, I have always, I've never been somebody that accepted when somebody said, no, it can't be done. And you'd ask them, well, why can't it? And they say, well, because it hasn't been done before. 
So I never really accepted that answer. So I think that makes me on anything. Yeah, <laughs> it got me in trouble at school. <laughs> um, but um, so I don't. So, I don't think so much that I was drawn to be an entrepreneur as that entrepreneurship is a consequence of kind of like not accepting when somebody says. You know, when, you, when you're 18, for example, with me, and I say, I want to do a matte lipstick brand, well, that can't be done. You say, well, why can't that be done? And they say, well, well, it's never been done before. And it's kind of like, okay, so that doesn't mean it can't be done. You say, it hasn't been, been done. done. Yeah. You know, so kind of like, and, and it may not work. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, kind of like, but don't tell me it can't be, be done, done on the basis that it hasn't been done before. You know, I mean, so, so I think that entrepreneurship just sort of like was – is kind of part of my personality in terms of kind of like I'd rather um, give something a try and fail than not try at all. Like, you know, so if I'm faced with that crossroads, like do I not try because um, even though I really believe in this and really believe there's an opportunity or do I try and fail, I'd rather try and fail. I mean, I'm not, I'm not happy about it, but I'd rather that than the other way. Exactly. And come on, the best businesses in the world – are the best businesses in the world because nobody's done them before. Yeah. Exactly, they're you disruptive. Know, that's the funny thing when, when you know, it's so funny because I've been in the same business in two totally different centuries, which yeah. makes me sound <laughs> like a vampire. But, um, but in the sense that kind of, so I've been in the lipstick business for 26 years. First one was in the 90s, completely different brand sphere yeah like um no internet no email everything done by fax and phone and you know kind of like no social media no kind of you know and then um and then I'm in the same business in a in the 21st century where it's all about social media and there's technology and you know all and and people are buying online and not buying in source so it's 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 been fascinating to be in this doing the same thing in two totally different and unique business environments to each other and when the word disruption kept coming, when it sort of like started appearing as a business philosophy, it's just like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. if only I'd known that when I was like 18, I could have like said, no, I'm being disrupted. Exactly. You know? <laughs> because it's true what you say. It was a time before the internet and, you know, that you could just Google someone to yeah. find someone's email address. At 18, how did you have the wherewithal to... Well, Stop it was a little bit connecting like, with these people to help you. I think it was a lot to do with um, the books and stuff that I'd read. Like, I mean, I don't know whether you'll know this because being, you know, being British, but in Australia, you know, Australia obviously has a big connection with Britain. So, uh, and we used to get these books, The Famous Five. No, I don't know. Oh, that okay. One. So, The Famous Five was about this sort of like gang of teenage kids. So okay. Kind of like that used to like solve capers, like go on a caper, like kind of like and solve like kind of these mysteries that the adults kind of were too stuck in their ways to see, if you know ah, what I mean. Okay. And so um, so I think with me, kind of like I, I was a little, it was a little bit, people think it was a sign of such maturity. It wasn't it wasn't really so much maturity as it was almost naivety. It was almost yeah. kind of like this is a caper that kind of like I'm going to solve. Like the adults may be telling me that, you know, that you can't do this or, you know, how are you going to make a lipstick, whatever. And so, um, so it really was kind of like I really did look at it like, you know, Nancy Drew, you know, yeah. or Famous Five, kind of like kind of like an adventure, like kind of like, okay, I wonder if I could, how would I go about getting a lipstick to market that was matte, so not shiny, because everything was so shiny at the time. It was the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. um, that had no frosting in it and that looked very 1940s or old Hollywood and you just, you know, couldn't get anything. How would I go about that? So 
okay, you know, what do you do? I mean, I'm, I don't have a chemistry degree. I don't know how to make lipstick. All I know is what type of lipstick I want and wear. So I looked up in the phone book, lipstick factories, to wow. see if I could ring a lipstick factory. And, of course, there's nothing under lipstick factories, but I did find a listing for cosmetic manufacturers. Okay. And I started ringing up all of these cosmetic manufacturers until I finally hit on one and said they made lipstick and then I found out more about what was needed to get them to make it and you know so so that's what I mean it was really was like solving some sort of madcap caper <laughs> so how how long did it take from you having these ideas and reaching out to these manufacturers to it actually going into production to market. Um, about a year okay yeah so from the sort of like from the first phone call to Neville and Paul at Neon Cosmetics in Australia um the, from the first phone call to it, it took about a year because then I had to find, uh, you know, um, well, I had to find financing because I didn't have the, you know, I didn't have the money to do it myself. I had to figure out sort of like what the packaging would look like. I had to figure out kind of like how to get a display unit made, start approaching stores. So the whole thing it took, you know, it took me about a year. So when did you start having partners on that were kind of supporting Straight away. you? Well, I went to, I was very, very, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was very, very, again, lucky, like what I said right at the top of the interview, you know, that, um, and also hard working. Cause so the hard work part was that I started to go and see anybody I knew who, or my mother knew, yeah. my father died when I was very young, so my mother is a single mother, um, my mother knew who was in business to sort of help understand what a business plan was, you know. Um, and then one of the people, so I was going around a lot asking a lot of advice to people who had businesses, either if they had a store or they worked in business or whatever, like kind of like what's a business plan and I'm trying to understand what a business plan was because I wanted to apply for an award or a grant or some kind of government assistance okay. to start it as a young woman in business, you know. And uh, one of the people that I went to was just really impressed with, you know, how clear I was on what the vision was that they decided to invest in it themselves. So I was going there for advice and they said, I'll wow. invest. And so it just goes to show that, you know, you've just got to, that, you know, what does they say? Fortune favours the bold. Very true. Because yeah. I wonder, did you ever encounter moments where your age acted as a barrier? Because I think um, we've spoken so much about ageism on the other side, but even I've encountered moments when you go into a meeting and they're kind of shocked that you're, you're so young. You're so young. Did you ever experience that? Um, I don't think when it, not when it came to talking about the product, okay. because you know the product. You know people expect an eighteen-year-old girl to have an opinion on lipstick. Of you know course. what I mean? It's not like yeah. it wasn't like engineering or aerodynamics or <laughs> yeah. something like that. You know, um, so you know, so it's not so much when it came to product. I think where my age and gender were and still are difficult is when it comes to navigating the financial world, like yeah. navigating the gatekeepers of money. Of course. <laughs> you know, um, so, and because I'm not from wealthy family and I'm not from, you know, I'm not from a long line of anything or any sort of like, um, you know, protected environment. I'm sort of like somebody who's, you know, who's completely self-created, you know, in terms of like the position that I've got myself into. Um is uh, I think it's really been, you know, if it's not my age and it's my gender, if it's not my age or gender, then it's my unconventional outlook on business. I mean, there's always something between a barrier between me and the people, uh, you know, the, the institutions. I'm not, I'm not very, very institutionalised. <laughs> in a sense, sometimes youth can actually be an asset because totally. you're not even thinking about those sorts of things. 
Yes, I think that youth is, I think, you know, the thing is, is what I try to be or maintain is childlike versus childish, Yeah. you know. Whenever I'm childish, it never works out well in business, you know, like immature or sort of whatever, like in, need instant gratification or kind of like, you know, any sort of like childlike um, uh, thing, um, any childlike sort of uh, motivation. It's a childish, sorry, but when I'm childlike, meaning that I keep a sense of wonderment, I keep an idea of possibility, I keep an idea that kind of like something doesn't have to be probable to be possible, like, you know, like a child that kind of like you just don't... Um, so it's maintaining a sort of a childlike wonderment but a very wise kind of sense of time and structure you know that so it's 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 finding the balance that I'm still trying to find but one of the things that I love so much about you is that you've you're so connected to the product it's always been for you about the product Mm -hmm. and I know in the past that you said that that's the sad things with some of these big corporate institutions the higher up you get the further you're removed from from the product or the person from the person Um, yeah so when you started working with different partners, how, and, you know, they're having other expertise, finances and other kind of um, concerns, how did, how did you navigate that balance of making sure that you were sticking, staying true to your original vision, but also running a business? That's a, an excellent question, and I can't say that I, you know, I can't say that I've mastered it, you know, in terms of, or that I've got sort of like, you know, the you know the blueprint for exactly how to do that because each scenario I've been in has been different so I've had five different financing scenarios like my first business partner then second so that was his business partner we I bought him out of that then there was investors which bought you know a certain percentage of the companies just back in Australia that really didn't work out well um the personalities and the mix of skills and the objectives were just all too muddled with that and that ended up in um, Chapter 11 and then the business got sold yeah. and I was taken with it. I was part of the sale. They wanted yes. me to come with it. So then I had owners. So I went from partner to investor to being owned. Then after that, when I left my own company to come here to work, to come to New York to work for the Estee Lauder Corporation, so I went from partner to investor, to owned, to then vice president, to sort of like then senior executive at a major corporation, the S.A. Lauder Corporation. Um, from that, then I left and started my own lipstick company again, which is Lipstick Queen, and then sold that five years ago to another group. So I've had so many different structures of kind of backing or kind of like um, – and. Everyone has a different sort of dynamic and challenge. And I guess the thing that I would say to women and to to people out there listening to this is that, you know, creativity and money have a strange relationship in the sense that they need each other. Like to be really creative, you kind of need money to execute your ideas. And then money needs creativity in order to sort of keep opening new arteries and finding where the next thing is. And you know what I mean? So... So that balance, you know, is always tough because the people with the money always think that they're, they're doing the more, that, you know, that they've sort of like somehow their opinion matters more than the people with the creativity. So it's always a fight to kind of like get the people with money to kind of like, and I think the way, the only thing that I can just keep learning is just how to be able to articulate 
the creativity in a way that people with money will understand. understand. Yeah. So it's not, do you know, that's kind of like... So it's not a constant kind of battle. Us against them. Yeah. So how did you find each of those transitions? Because I think sometimes people, people will always advocate that, you know, owning your business outright is always so much better because you have control, but then you have people who have expertise that... It's that can just, take it to the next level. Exactly. So you just have to look at it. There is no, it's just different. It's like, which headache suits you better? Like the yeah. headache of having it all be your responsibility and be, you know, hand, like really, you know, having to roll up your sleeves and, and bootstrap and all that kind of stuff. Like, but you have the total control and freedom, you yeah. know, but you have all the responsibility. Or do you want, less responsibility, like not have to have it all on your shoulders, but you're not going to have the same freedom. Like you've got to – and so it just depends on which of those – neither scenario is perfect and, yeah. and, and you always – I've always found whichever one of side of that coin you're on, you always think, oh, it's so much better on the other side. But of the course. truth is, is it comes down to your personality in terms of – and for me, ultimately what is harder for me to do is give up – um, give up the freedom to pioneer, you know, and the, and so if kind of like if I'm in a situation where I'm not allowed to pioneer anymore, I've got to protect the business versus pioneer the yeah. business, then that's when I really kind of like, um, so when I'm in a situation where you have to kind of like protect business versus pioneer it, that's when kind of like it's usually a sign for me. That time. We'll move on, yeah. Because <laughs> I think today we focus so much on the peaks, the peaks of people's careers. Um, and it's like we've become, we're so focused on leaning in and, you know, nailing life that we, we've kind of been less forthcoming when it comes to some of the missteps or exactly. some of the disappointments that have come in our careers. And that's why I love that you were so candid in talking about when the Chapter 11 happened. Totally, and what made you decide to be so open about that? Because I'm not... Um, because I've tried to get the, the message across that I wish somebody would have kind of told me... I don't know whether I would have heard them or not, but just even the concept that success sort of confirms what you already know. Like usually everything that I've been successful, I was kind of like, yeah, I had a hunch that was the case, otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Whereas failure, for want of a better word, has been what has got, has been what taught me what I needed to know to go further, you know, like success. Like if I only had success, I'd just be going around the same yeah. hamster wheel. Do you know what I mean? Like over yeah. and over and over again. But it's then when, it's, it's when something hasn't worked and I've had to kind of really understand why and what why didn't that work? What were the factors in that? They kind of like understand even deeper, more and more my market, myself, the business world. And, you know, and then I kind of like from the sort of, you know, sting of that, like kind of kind of grow in character and as a business person. So I grow through failure. Yeah. You know, I kind of like I, I, I have joy through success. It's not failure's not a joyful process and I get a lot of joy from the success, but I grow through the failure. So what was it like arriving in New York? Starting again, almost well, working I mean, for a new company now. Having a working started, company, I yeah, never of course worked you, for a company. Um, 
it was a culture shock. I mean, I'd been to New York a lot, so I wasn't so much shocked about the culture of New York City, but in terms of corporate culture, you know, like I had never really been, certainly not in a big American, you know, Fortune 500 company like Estee Lauder Corporation. And um, I think that I was just so... Uh, I just really tried to let go. Um, and I think, you know when you move from one so far, from like one hemisphere literally to another hemisphere, it was easy to just kind of like leave my experience yeah. and just say, okay, I'm, I, this is a new experience. So rather than kind of like coming in here, why don't they do it this way? That's how I always did it. Why don't they do it this way? That's how I was kind yeah. of like just let go how I used to do it, look at how they're doing it and figure out whether I think that's the smart way to do it or not but don't try and drag my practices to the corporation like kind of like my practices as an entrepreneur you know like trying to sort of push those through a corporation is not as it was more like learn the practices of the corporation then figure out which parts you could influence so do you feel like it's an invaluable experience to work in the industry that you want to ultimately run a business in beforehand I think I think it's an invaluable experience to to fraternize as much as possible with the end user okay. of an industry you want to go into. And what I mean by that is kind of like to tell you the truth, most of what I've learned, really learned, that has really been critical to my success, I've learned through the customer, through spending time on counters, you yeah. know, through just talking to women about beauty, just you know, listening, like starting up a conversation with a woman on the subway who's got a pink lipstick on and why she chosen that, you know, like, like it's great lipstick and, you know, like what she likes about pinks and kind of like she might say, oh, I always find them to be candy coloured, so I'll store that and I'll think, well, you know, I'm going to do pinks that aren't so candy coloured and, you know, kind of like, so kind of, so it's much more like the end user's experience. The problem with working, you know, that's really what I've learned from what I learned from working in the industry, because the industry and the end user are not the same thing, and what I learned from working in the industry is that, you know, the important role that structure plays in getting to the, you know, in that process plays and getting that balance right, they're kind of like you, you have to plan, but you also have to re- try to remain flexible as well. You yeah. know, they're kind of like if there's too much planning, the the creativity goes out if there's too if there's not enough planning nothing works so kind of so I learned I learned sort of about balance so sort of in the like in that pendulum was too far in the corporate world for me so I came out of it I quit you know, yeah um, after three years and and kind of decided you know I think it was an amazing opportunity but it's not I didn't I didn't start a lipstick company to become part of the beauty business I started a lipstick company to to provide an alternative to the beauty business not yeah be part of it yeah so when you decided to leave had you already had it in your mind that you were going to set up another business or kind of I mean I wasn't I wasn't completely sure it was 2005 2006 I had it in my I I knew I was going to write a book so I was going to write that book I wrote Lessons of a Lipstick Queen which is all about entrepreneurship um so I knew that I was going to write a book um I, in writing that book, I kind of like realised that my very original motivations when I was thinking about why did I start a lipstick company when I was 18, which was to sort of not to do something that really paid homage to the incredible 
transformation that lipstick is. Like it's not about concealing or correcting. It's kind of much more, it's, it's just so much more about what it does for me on the inside. than You know, what it does on the outside is just sort of a consequence of what it does for me on the inside. And, yeah. and I realised that that was still relevant to me. And so that it sort of, so it was really more through writing the book, I realised that the very same principles were still relevant to me. So I decided to start another lipstick company again with those principles. Go back, right back to basically exactly what I tried to do, what I did when I was 18 but this time do it in New York. So how was the process different the second time around well, the second to time, the first? Well, the second time around... Because you were not new to the rodeo Exactly. Now. The yeah. second time around, in many ways, was much easier because um, I had many more connections. I knew, you know, I knew how things... I knew what it was like dealing with retailers, you know, all that kind of stuff. There, there wasn't really any mystery in terms of the way that there was. The first one was like a big, like I said, a mystery, like a you know, yeah. Manhattan murder mystery or something, <laughs> you know, like kind of like sort of. Um, but the so the first time around was very much sort of was like a mystery to be solved. The second time around was more about trying to carve out, um, trying to kind of like stand for something, have a real point of view in a very crowded market. So the challenge was that it was much more crowded in the market when I went back in with Lipstick Queen than when I had Poppy. When I had Poppy, there weren't very many indie brands. By the time yeah. Lipstick Queen, there was Mac and yeah. Steeler and Benefit and, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. So having a point of difference was more of a challenge. And the point of difference at that time when I went back to doing Lipstick in 2006 was no one was wearing lipstick. It was at the time the really. Gloss, yeah, yeah, when everybody was. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying, you know, but no, they're just every, like there were young girls that would just wouldn't have even considered. Like, like lipstick was almost endangering, you know, kind of like being something that you saw in a museum you yeah. know, next to a Sony Walkman and a CD and, you know, yeah. and, and hairspray or something, you know, and like Elnish, you know, like I was sort of like getting going that direction. And so so the point of difference this time was really just that I was one very few people that were still sort of advocating to wear lipstick and strong lipstick at a time when it wasn't fashionable. It's very interesting that having that confidence to launch a whole new business at a time where the market is saying something totally different. different. But that's always been, and that's where I, you know, that's why I don't fit with institutions because, and that's why, you know, because, and I'm not saying that as a badge of honour, I'm just saying it as a fact, you know, because that's always, I always, I, I like to bring something to the equation that's rare. You know, so um, so at that point, lipstick was rare. So I wanted yeah. to, bring, you know, so and I and for me that that has always been how I've been most successful is not by following the herd, but by just yeah. like following, you know, following my my heart, you know, kind of and my head, but not the herd. Definitely, because I think especially in beauty over the last few years, we've had this you know, chasing the buzz. Is it B, B, C, C, D, D? There's just so much to constantly be, you know, tapping into the... And social media has just, like, turned the volume up on Exactly. Freneticness is just... Yeah, and it's like brands constantly feel like they need to keep up. Shut up. But that that is... (laughs) I remember reading an interview with you when you were talking about Poppy even, and you were saying that you wanted to focus on lipstick and you felt like going into other categories at that time was a mistake. Yes, it was. You know, I mean, I think that basically for me, any... It's always a mistake when I'm either being pressured to by outside forces or my own insecurities 
making me make decisions that I'm trying to get the sales level to a certain point. So therefore, what product do I need to fill in to get the sales there versus what product do I want to put out there and the sales will come, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, so it's always hard, like kind of, the more um, the more that I'm trying to do something to because it makes sense financially in some ways it's the less time for me that's not the formula for my success the formula for my success is when I'm trying to do something really interesting and then people get interested and that's just kind of the formula I work on like <laughs> properties like properties <laughs> which you know somebody of course in the you know in the company here because I don't own Lipsy Queen anymore like I said but I'm still totally embedded um but like somebody said uh, to me you know we can't call it you know we can't put the word frog around you know the idea of frog lips you know so kind of and you know and it's kind of like and it's like no i i i in that case i disagree and so yeah so it's that thing of kind of like i try i just really believe and it's kind of you know somewhat of a maybe a childlike or naive belief that if you do something interesting people will be interested if you don't do something interesting you're going to have to figure out through a lot of advertising and celebrity push and all that how to make people interested but if you make the product interesting you don't have to figure out how to make people interested they are they get interested so (laughs) talk to me a little bit about how frog prints came into so in the way that most of my lipsticks come into being is through language sayings language words actually like it's actually if, if it were up to me the brand would just be completely text-based you know but you know I know that I'm like you know I'm, I'm, I'm so off the needle in terms of what you know that kind of thing but um but so it's so I knew the saying which I always loved you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince yeah and um Many, many years ago, I was, not many years ago, quite a few years ago, I was in talks about designing a line of makeup from Miss Piggy. Oh, that would have been brilliant. Fantastic. And um, and one of the lines that I was going to ha- I came up with all sorts of ideas for it. And one of the lines that I came up with at the time was, like, having her do a lipstick saying, you know, and then say I had to kiss a lot of frogs to yeah. find a prince, you know. Um, to, I had to kiss a lot of frogs to find the right lipstick, you know. Yeah. So that, And so I'd always had that saying in my head and I kind of, like, just thought, you know, how can I embody that? And how can I bring that concept? We have to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince in terms of, like, transformation, you know, something not being what you expect, determination, like keeping on going, something coming out of you. Like how can I embody that concept in a lipstick? And that's what Frog Prince is. It's this green that works with the pH in your lips and then it turns this beautiful rosebud pink. So, you know, and they've been, those lipsticks have been, I didn't invent that. Yeah. Like there have been green, those lipsticks yeah. in the past, that have, but they went this horrible sort of jelly bean red, you know, sort of jelly Ooh. belly, you know, like sort of Kool-Aid kind okay. of red. You know? So it had not been finessed. No. Like, they, like they had the gimmick, but they didn't really have. They weren't really actually beautiful, and, okay. you know, experiential. So this was much more experiential, and so most, pretty much most of my. I mean, like lipstick chest, which you can see. We're sitting in, you know, the comments room, and you can see the lipstick chest, which is all the different chest pieces in lipstick colours, you okay. know, um, and all that. You know, so it, things they come from. How do I take a concept that doesn't seemingly have anything to do with lipstick and turn it into a lipstick? Did the retailers get it instantly? 
Yes, they did. With okay. me, I mean, I think with me because that's kind of like that's what they're expecting from me. I think what yeah. retailers don't get is if I come in with something conventional, they're kind of like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it depends on what the retailer's expecting right. from you. Do you okay. know what I mean? The retailer's expecting me to be sort of as Willy Wonka as I can possibly be. You yeah. know, definitely. And that's why I feel like you have a such a master storyteller and the lit frog prints was such a great example um why do you think it's so important for people to kind of see part of your story to be invested in what you're offering because i hate i feel very sort of annoyed and around the idea that i'm just should be told what to buy like you should buy this you know you should do this or do that like like the beauty industry tells you a lot about what's in the product what you know what people are wearing it what 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 you know like all these what's about kind of like you know what you should do what you should be what you should and nobody ever talks about why like yeah. why like what's the backstory? do you yeah. know what I mean like what is the backstory? and kind of like, like I'm not so much I'm like the results are only as interesting to me as the backstory. Yeah. you know so I just wanted to I'm just somebody that wants to try and do a beauty brand where the focus is on the backstory around the products like how they came to be why they've come to be what what why you know why why is this something that can add anything to my life like I feel a lot of accountability yeah. around why I've bought out a product not what it is but why I've bought it out so as your businesses have grown how have you been able to keep this close connection with the end customer I mean it's an ebb and flow like kind of you know it's it the <sighs> I've always kept this close connection. I guess more the the, the thing that's been more difficult is when you, when I, when I'm not you know the CEO like when I am reporting or kind of like you know when other people are like kind of like whether it's like getting it's more about making sure that my board and my decision makers keep the close connection with the customer. That's been yeah. more the battle, not okay. you know because and the, and the battle. Thank goodness. P&L shows it. You know, anytime we go away from kind of like that connection with the customer, it yeah. doesn't work. So kind of like, so so you know how I've managed to keep that connection? Just by through, <laughs> just by P&L, good old kind of like just making boards understand if we don't, we're, 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 we're really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I think it's one of the, the, the curses of our generation now we're so on to the next thing so you've created this amazing lipstick who you know finessed a concept that was already there but wasn't on the scale that it is now yeah. and the moment that's out there and everyone's raving about it the next question is what's next yeah I mean I think the question I think that's that what's next question is more a question that's driven by the economics of doing business, the retailers want to know what's next. They're kind of like, you know, the media needs to know what's next. I kind of like, I don't actually think that the customer, I think when the, especially with lipstick, I think when the customer finds one that they really love. Yeah, you're it's so not right. About, you know, I mean, like they love it. And yeah. Like, and, and yeah, what's next in terms of like what else could they possibly do? But they still love. They're so happy and content. So, yeah. yeah, it's not, I think the idea is, I mean, I think it's different in different Cosmetics, I think, you know, kind of like, but the idea, I mean, yes, there are trends in lipstick and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's been a massive swing back to matte and those liquid lips and, you know, um, and 
But I think that it's more, I don't really, I, I try not to worry so much about what's next. I sort of leave that game to everyone else and just sort of like try to worry more about what else could be interesting, you know? Because how do you manage in those times where you have a creativity block? Because doing what you do, the success of the business is kind of based on you constantly having great ideas. Well, you know, I think that it's... Um, Luckily, I don't have them very often. I've only really had one sort of, like, I don't know what you call writer's block when it comes to <laughs> lipstick, but um, I've only really had one period, and it was very hard. It was, like, a couple of years ago, and where I really just just wasn't feeling, I just wasn't feeling the sort of burning desire to kind of, like, like, I wasn't just, I just, I just was just wasn't feeling so in love with lipstick anymore. It was kind of like an old, it was becoming an old relationship. It was kind of like, yeah, I love you, but you know, I'm so sick of, I'm sick of thinking about it, talking about it, like it doesn't. And, um, and I think, you know, what happened was you, you just have to, during those periods when your creativity is not, when it's not as high as other times, then it's just about just, just riding that period out like not not freaking out that you're not sort of like and just knowing that kind of like okay I'm going to let and it sounds kind of very new agey but I'm kind of going to right now I'm not in the I'm a I'm a passenger not a driver sometimes yeah. I'm a driver I'm driving my creativity you know I'm really driving it driving it and I've got and then sometimes with my creativity I'm a passenger where I've just got to kind of like sit back watch absorb like kind of like like just let things kind of marinate you know so it's kind of like knowing sometimes to get into the passenger seat sometimes to be in the driver's seat of it and that both are relevant those times that yeah. are sort of really where I'm like can't think of anything you know are never a waste of time because they're kind of like because it, I'm thinking of a then it really makes it very clear when a real idea does come I'm kind of like oh, okay like this is what a real idea feels like exactly because last year you've marked 10 years of Liberty Queen. How did that feel? You know, I really didn't sort of think. I mean, it's only kind of like, um, you know, and I kind of like have almost some sort of like dyslexia, you know, in terms, in the, not, not literally, but in term, metaphorically in terms of like, I very rarely kind of stop. I look back a lot, but I look back to kind of like, to sort of like learn, sort of see how that action ended up in that consequence and that, like I, I analyse but I, don't, I very rarely stop to sort of like just sort of go, wow, like, you know, kind of like this is, you know, this has happened, like this is real. I'm always, um, and always, I always have a sort of delayed reaction. It's only sort of now that I'm starting to realise, my goodness, like 10 years in business in the lipstick business during such a tumultuous time economically politically retail changing you know everything changing around you know no kind of like just stands shifting um to sort of somehow have managed to sort of like just hang in there for that 10 years it's kind of like whoa <laughs> like I say okay you know and then it suddenly makes me feel tired I need a nap Best I don't think about it. So, so, yes. I just feel like, like it's like, oh my god, I need a nap. <laughs> no, 
tell him we sleep for 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. But it's true. To stay authentic and have a successful business... It's not it's easy. Hard. But but it's a but it's an honour and it's a privilege. You know what I mean? Like, it's not easy. Absolutely. And I, But, boy, is it a privilege. I mean, how many people... This is what I never, ever, ever... This never leaves me, not even for a second, of, like, just how many people get... So few people, unfortunately, get to make a living through their own ideas. You know, so many, so you know, it's so it's so hard to navigate and you know yourself into a position where you know where you're not where you're actually shaping something, not just like kind of like a cog in the wheel, but you're actually shaping something. Exactly. And so every time I think, oh my god, this is so hard, this is so hard, and you know, it's so much pressure on that. But that I also am always aware that. I'm getting one of the ultimate privileges a human being get, and I'm getting to help shape something. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue into my last question yes. about your involvement in the Count Me In organisation. How did that happen? So that was only, that was fairly fleeting. Okay. That was, um, and I think that was for Fired Up the Red. Okay. Yeah. So that was around, let me just go back. Was that around Sarah Palin there was something happening around women at that time that kind of like I really wanted to sort of fire up women like Rosie the Riveter sort of thing and I can't remember exactly what it was but that was sort of fleeting but I guess in terms of like um, you know I my how I try to give back because I do think that's a really important part of business and of business karma I believe again I know this sounds really sort of new agey but I believe that businesses have a karma the way that people have a karma you know um and um the way I try to get back is that I mentor you know again it's one of those words I wish there was another word for it it sounds so grandiose but you know a lot of people come to me for advice and please feel free to everyone out there you know like um about how do they kind of they've got a good idea and how could they make it happen you know and they and um and obviously and you know I and I try to sort of take on anybody you know add value to anybody that asks me that question whether it be that I actually take them on and start mentoring them I have about eight people at the moment that I'm mentoring and developing um or whether I just point them in the right direction I just I just I never I'm not the way that I give back is I'm not pulling up the rope ladder behind me do you know what I mean like I'm sort of trying to go my own very flawed awkward you know (laughs) clumsy path that you know kind of but and then sort of sharing it, sharing it back, you know, sort of paying it, paying it forwards or backwards, whichever direction. But, yeah. but 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 making sure that I'm sharing my information, and I think that, you know, um, in a way that's meaningful. I mean, and, and a lot of people are quite shocked because I'm not very active on social media. I know, <laughs> um, and you know, because again, and I will be. I'm gearing up to be, but it's going to be when I can do it in a way that I think it's actually not just noise, but it's real dialogue. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Poppy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. It's been a pleasure too for me. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with the super inspiring Poppy King. If you have any questions or comments on anything we spoke about with Poppy, drop us a comment on our last Instagram post at The Lifestyle Edit. From our research, it's really, really important to have a new podcast reviewed. So if our content has provided value or helped you in any way over the years, please leave us a review on iTunes and share how the show has helped you or inspired you to move ahead. Our mission is always to inspire you to play big in every way. So if you think these stories could help someone in your life, please share the love and send their way. 
If you do leave a review, please let us know because we'd love to thank you for your support. See you next time.